Hey, you're listening to the Her Paper Root Podcast, episode number 20, and I am so excited today because I'm about to sit down and chat with Samantha Milner, and she is a blogger. She runs a blog called RecipeThis.com, and it gets over 8 million visitors a year. And what she does to generate that kind of traffic is so clever. It doesn't cost a cent, and it's something that anybody can do. So you are just going to love to hear what she has to say. And we talk for an hour in this episode. She has so much great advice. I would highly recommend that you get out a pen and paper and take notes because this is one you are not going to want to forget. You're listening to the Her Paper Root Podcast, a show all about money and entrepreneurship with host Chelsea Clark. Chelsea is a marketing strategist and the founder of HerPaperRoot.com, a friendly and supportive hive for ambitious, passionate entrepreneurs like you to learn how to growth hack your idea into a profitable business. We encourage you to fearlessly tackle your wildest goals. We know that as your own boss, you can deliver your unique message and make more paper. You just need a plan. Here's your host, Chelsea Clark. Hey, Samantha, how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks, Chelsea. It's an absolute pleasure to be on your podcast today. (laughs) Thank you. I am overjoyed to have you here. Your blog success is totally inspiring. Getting 8 million visitors a year is just fantastic. And something that you do to get that traffic is you create roundup posts. And not just that, but you do something after you create a roundup post that makes them go viral and generate traffic in the millions. So first up, let us all know what is a roundup post. Okay, so a roundup is a post linking to a list of items. That content can be on your own site, uh, linking to uh, popular content that you've got, or it can be linking to somebody else's content. I'm in the food uh, blogging niche, so when I do a roundup, it tends to be a list of recipes. You can also think of BuzzFeed as an example, because when they do a roundup, they have all sorts of silly things uh, like uh, what food to eat while you're watching Netflix and, you know, silly, very things. Um, Another great example of a roundup post is when you do the Christmas style uh, Black Friday content when you're linking out to uh, products that are on sale right now that people can grab. Another one that I like to use as an example is movies to watch. This was actually the first ever roundup I wrote and I did a roundup and I think it was called something like uh, top 100 movies that you must watch kind of like a bucket list post. And it at the time, it actually outranked uh, IMDb. Wow. It was a massive hit. Other ones, maybe if you're in the travel niche, it could be 25 places to visit in Las Vegas on a budget or something like if you're doing a lot of content about Aldi's, it could be top 10 products to buy from Aldi's. It doesn't have to be a massive roundup. For example... One of my most successful roundups was 101 Instant Pot Recipes for Beginners. But I also have a roundup that's been very successful that started off as seven air fried chicken recipes. So it can be based on what kind of content you want to do and what you want to do with that content afterwards. Just think that you want it big enough to promote, big enough to have upsells running off. A roundup 
for me, is also excellent for newbie bloggers because if you've hardly got any content on your site, you could um, run a roundup featuring other people. They then re- uh, promote it and you've got a great bit of traffic on a brand new blog. How does someone get started with a roundup? Can you walk us through the roundup structure? Yes, I can. I would always start with a good title. Target a long tail keyword if you can. Let me use chicken recipes as an example. You know, you've got no chance actually ranking for chicken recipes in Google because there'd be a ridiculous amount of competition. Yeah. But you could rank for long tail keywords. For example, I put into uh, answerthepublic.com chicken recipes um, just before we got started, Chelsea. And some good ones that came, came up included chicken recipes to freeze a head, chicken recipes to feed a crowd, chicken recipes to eat cold. Well, uh, given that we're recording this in March, my first thought was 25 um, chicken recipes to eat cold for summer. And there you go. You've already got your roundup title there. And you know that it's already getting searches and it's a great starting point. Then after choosing your title and how uh, you plan to write about it, I would go with a good introduction, an affiliate product. I always recommend having a paragraph or two dedicated to an affiliate product that fits in with your roundup. Let's say if you're doing Instant Pot recipes roundups, you would affiliate the Instant Pot. Or let's say you were doing a budget-friendly roundup, you might uh, affiliate one of the popular... Uh, coupon sites and I would also recommend after that before you actually start your roundup is to have a quick Q&A and this brings me back to answerthepublic.com again if you haven't heard of it before it's a a type of keyword tool it's like it'll tell you all the related questions that people put into google and on a free account you can have up to three searches a day so what i do is i pre-plan that and i'll think of what blog posts i'm writing the following week do my searches and then bookmark them and then i can make use of just having three a day and what it does is it brings up a lot of questions so for example i'm looking at the chicken now and i've obviously put chicken recipes in And it's told me that people are searching for what are healthy chicken recipes, for example, or how to make KFC chicken recipe. There's there's all sorts of searches that are put in and it's amazing how many different keywords you can find. And that if you add these Q&As into your roundup, you've got a great chance of actually ranking for these questions in Google and increasing your traffic. And then after the Q&A, I add um, the main roundup. So it's your list of whatever you've decided to write about, whether it's it might be 25 recipes. I would recommend having a few graphics in between these so that you've got a good selection of graphics to put on Pinterest and also to make it less boring because people don't want to see just a bullet list of information. Otherwise, they'll just get bored. And then... After the roundup itself, I always add a call of action, further reading or to buy a product, depending what your call of action is going to be. It might be further reading to other content on your site. It might be to buy a product. It might be for an affiliate product or whatever it is you decide because your reader is hungry for more. So it's a good opportunity to put more in at this point. And also, if I am affiliating something, I will also add banners throughout the post as well, linking to the affiliate product. 
There is a ton more coming up on today's episode, but first I want to quickly thank our sponsors for making this show possible. Want to learn something new today? Skillshare is an awesome online learning community where you can learn a new skill in just about anything. There are over 16,000 free and premium classes. Get personalized, on-demand education on everything from SEO, design, business, marketing, creative arts, and more. Today, you can get two months of unlimited classes for free right now when you go to herpaperroot.com Skillshare. My go-to project management tool has to be HoneyBook. It handles my clients, my projects, my invoices. It also has contact forms and questionnaires, appointment scheduling, and task management, and keeps me on the ball so I never miss something important. And everyone listening can get a free trial of HoneyBook by going to herpaperroot.com HoneyBook. And if you decide to upgrade, you will get 50% off your first year, which is a savings of $280. What are some ways that you can get other big blogs to share your Roundup post? When I think of doing a Roundup, I have lots of promotional things in mind. I always aim for um, the people that I'm going to feature in that Roundup. I will always go for low, medium and high bloggers in my niche. So let's, start, so let's say you're starting off and you're hard to get any traffic. Aim for people that get slightly uh, more traffic than yourself those that you think oh I would love to be in their position traffic wise in two years to where you would like to be in five years when you think of the different range of bloggers one blogger who shared one of mine and originally sent it viral on both Facebook and Pinterest she had I think about two million page views a month at the time so she wasn't the highest person that I'd featured she was in, kind of in the mid-range and it suited her niche and it was great content and because I had her in mind and I wanted her to share it out of 101 recipes that I included I believe seven was hers just to get the ball rolling and to get somebody decent to get it shared and at the time her Facebook account was incredibly active so I knew um, that it was just a matter of time when it went out that would actually happen and then what I think is also a good idea is to treat it a bit like a blog outreach or PR opportunities or whatever you want to call it and create what um, bloggers that do roundups call a blanket list and this is where let's say you feature somebody in your roundup next time you do a roundup you say can I ask your permission in advance to feature you in future roundups and would you share again in the future and just put a list together like that with the person's website email address Facebook, that kind of thing, and build that list up over time. I think I've got about 400 different bloggers on my list from when I used to do it like that. And then beyond that, you need to be thinking about um, the promotional plan surrounding your roundup. For example, I like to promote my roundups to Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and an email in everybody that I've featured in the roundup. I think the biggest mistake that I see people making with roundups is they don't actually personally email each person they've featured. I've been featured in about 40 roundups in the last week and not one person has actually emailed me to say, thanks for your content, here's the pin URL, would you mind giving it a quick share? Not one person has done that and I think that's a huge mistake. 
And another thing is to use Twitter. Um, let's say you've featured 25 different bloggers' recipes. You could do a tweet for each of those, adding that person at the same time. They will retweet that because it's extra motion for them and all they have to do is click the button once. You know, it's easy street for them. Mm-hmm. And then for Pinterest, I think the most important thing you have to remember about Pinterest is to have as many... Um, images as you can that fit in with the post that are bright easy text to digest and are going to get a lot of shares my uh, most successful image on there's bright orange black writing and it's got a vector on and it's done incredibly well I think it's on about 400,000 shares now or something like that that's awesome. I think bright pinnable graphics is the is the absolute way to go. And then another way that you could promote your post is on Facebook. What I found works really, really well for me is when that roundup is in people's minds and it, if it's seasonal and it comes back into season, to mass share it on any relevant Facebook groups at the time. For example, my 101 Instant Pot Recipes for Beginners, I put that out on um, the Instant Pot community on Boxing Day. The day after Christmas, everybody's just got a new Instant Pot and they want to know what they can actually cook in it. Most of them haven't even heard of what an Instant Pot is before then and they've got that terrified 1970s, this pressure cooker's going to blow up on me kind of feeling. (laughs) And trust me, they all think that, especially when they haven't been expecting one. So, you know, I literally just shared a link to the Roundup and I believe on, um, I did this three years in a row and I think on each year it got about 100,000 page views just from Facebook, just from a, a quick share on a post that uh, had been written some time previously. That was a kind of like a repromotion of the actual um, blog post. So you shared it on Instant Pot's Facebook page? Yes, I did. I shared it. Um, and at the time, they hadn't grown as big as what they are now. Uh, I think they're well over 2 million um, fans on there now. But I think at the time, when I first did it, they were on about half a million. And I think when I, when I did it last year for 26th of December 2019, they just hit 2 million. So, I mean, it still works. And I think I had a list of about six um, Instant Pot groups in total that I shared at the same time. And I kind of aimed it for when America was waking up on Boxing Day. So they got the present the day before and got some spare time to have a look. And they were all online. So there was that group, Instant Pot, Beginners Group, and lots of various other ones. And it goes viral because what happens is when you post that kind of roundup content, they always know a friend that's got one. So you end up with a post that's got a thousand tags tagging each other. And then they're having conversations with each other on that Facebook uh, thread. And it's constantly bumping it to the top of Facebook. And I think each time it's had more than 2 million um, reach on Facebook just for the one uh, Facebook update. And then it's bringing it back to your page. So it's a great thing for Facebook is the groups 
And because with Facebook, they don't give you the amount of reach that they used to because of all the algorithm changes. So by posting to a group like that, you're generating traffic back to your page and it's a winner on um, all levels. (laughs) I love doing that because it only takes 10 minutes. Yeah. Oh, that's so brilliant. Of course, you want to make sure that if you're doing the Facebook groups method, that you've got Facebook groups that are in your niche that will allow that. Yeah. For example, I've done ket- uh, keto roundups as well, and the same the same success putting it out to keto groups on Facebook. You could do the same if you're a budget blogger, um, blogging tips. It's it's a universal thing, and it's a great way to generate traffic. And once you have that traffic and the post is going viral, what's the next step? How do you convert all that traffic into paying customers? Well, obviously you have the advertising networks, you know, whether you're on Media Vine, yeah. Ad Thrive or wherever you are. But beyond that, it's always the one the one type of promotion that I've loved in the many years that I've worked online, and that's to re- repurpose content. You know, there's nothing greater than that. Um, the starting point that you could do, this is based on if all the content is yours, of course. If you're featuring a roundup of other people's stuff, you are dealing with copyright, so you do have to ask their permission to repurpose it beyond a blog post. But for example, let's say you're a meal prep blogger and you're doing all those meal planning kind of things and you've done a roundup of the top 25 meal prep recipes that are all on your site instead of selling it as an ebook you can put it together and it can become an opt-in for growing your mailing list or it could be um, a 10-day course teaching people how to meal prep again for building your mailing list I think I've got about uh, 7,000 subscribers just on the back of uh, roundups and offering free principles at the end of it. Like I've got one for, it's a roundup showing you the cooking times for various different meats in the instant pot. And then the principle at the end, uh, people can opt into my mailing list and get that. And that has generated us a good amount of new subscribers. And my other favorite words for repurposing is audio. You could use it, you could record yourself going through the various things that you've mentioned, put it into a podcast, put it into YouTube. I've seen a lot of people that do uh, roundups, they actually create a a Pinterest slideshow pin and they do very well off those. And they also use them on, uh, if they're on Mediavine, for example, as a a quick video so that they can generate more advertising revenue. Um, I haven't done this yet, but there's a blogger, mother and daughter combo that I know of. And they go by the name of Sorry Fitness, spelling it S-O-R-E-Y, fitness. And they've got some brilliant Pinterest slideshow pins that are doing very well. And that's a great example of what you can do with it um, at the end after you've done your blog post and use it for Pinterest traffic because Pinterest now seems to give him priority to videos anyway. So it's a great way to get on board of this new new theme. You could also do um, several, uh, several Twitter tweets uh, over time. And the one that we've been the most successful with is eBooks. We started 101 Instant Pot Recipes just as your average roundup and our readers asked for it in PDF. 
They said it's too long, but we would love all of these recipes in an ebook that we can download, that we can print off what pages we want, uh, and su- such like. So what we did is we created it into an ebook, and we put the ebook for sale. I can't remember the exact price it's at at the moment. It's either twelve or fifteen dollars, and you know it sells every day. And last year we opened it up to affiliates as well because we've got a lot of instant pot bloggers that follow us and they asked we would like to promote this as well so I opened an affiliate program and then as well as that we have a lot of upsells so let's say our reader buys 101 instant pot recipes ebook they will then be upsold a bigger instant pot recipes ebook that we have that's got like 130 recipes on it um, and they pay slightly more for that so affiliates can earn off that and we're in the process at the moment of creating lots of more instant pot recipe ebooks for our readers as well which again is going to be based on previous roundups in a similar structure so if you think of your roundup and you think to yourself I'm putting a lot of work into this roundup. I need to repurpose this content so that I can be making money from it, you know, two or three years from now. I mean, I will say that this roundup that we originally did, we uh, published it originally in the February of 2017. It's more than three years old and it's still um, earning us um, a good revenue stream. And it's even our number one uh, traffic post of all time since we started the blog Uh, I think it accounts to about five percent of our total traffic and we've done the same with a few other roundups as well as well ensuring that your website is legally compliant does not have to be confusing lawyer Amira at a self guru has created a legal template bundle for bloggers and entrepreneurs that covers your privacy page your terms and conditions and your affiliate disclosure page she also has a whole legal store of every other type of contract and template that you could ever need go to her slash legal bundle to discover Amira's contract shop I'm sure if someone's listening, they're thinking, okay, so I hear that a roundup post is good. It can be good for traffic and it can be good for making some money. And we've talked about the structure, but what about like, what would be your like step-by-step? Like, would you start by researching other bloggers in your niche that you'd want to feature? I've always aimed a roundup among content that I've already got on my blog. And quite often when I've been featuring other bloggers, it's... Um, it's been a filler so if I've when my blog's pretty much new and you've only got three things and you want to do a roundup with 20 items in um, using your own content first and then you're going on to other people's so what I tend to do is I tend to look at a roundup that would be highly popular in my niche Um, you know so for example I've done instant pot recipes for beginners which went out when the Instant Pot buzz was just kicking off. You know, I've got um, soup maker recipes because um, a lot of British people and Canadians and Australians, not not any Americans, I may add, uh, have the soup maker. So we put together all of our soup maker recipes into a collection um, for them to quickly uh, visit and link. 
and we've got other things like um, air fryer chicken recipes, um, which again, we didn't really do any keyword research for it at the time because we have air fried chicken recipes round up and we have air fried potatoes. And the first thing you kind of think of when you're doing an air fryer, what to cook in it is chicken and potatoes. So it was kind of a lot of it was logic rather than keyword research. I think I've only ever done keyword research in the last 12 months or so. And I've just kind of thought of what's popular, what's trending, and it's kind of always worked. It's funny that because I haven't really gone mad into keyword tools. I think I'm, I only signed up for SEM Rush a month ago compared to many other bloggers that have had it for years. So I just kind of go with what you plan to write a roundup about. And then what I will do is I will write the introductions, the main structure of the post. I will look at how many posts of my own I have first. And then I will look at other people's that I can add to it as well. And when I'm looking at other people's, like I mentioned before, I'll look at uh, my blanket list that I've got of other people and decide which ones to feature. I'll normally just go over to their site and search by the topic I'm doing a roundup of and think, oh, that one looks good. Or that one would be very good in a big graphic for Pinterest. Or that one uh, will send me viral or whatever. I'll be, th- I'll be thinking from a traffic point of view and from a point of view of it being blog a good recipe. recipe. This is getting That's over so 8 million visitors because... to your blog each year. And so if you are just sort of more recently getting into more of the keyword research and SEO stuff, that's so fascinating because you really have built your blog on your like intuition and knowing what people will be interested in and just creating great content. So I love that. I have. I only started doing proper keyword research uh, last summer because um, I'm not American and I don't know a lot a lot about American cuisine. And I've kind of had to learn it over the last few years as my American audience has grown. For example, things like an American would say zucchini and we would say courgettes. You know, it's aubergine versus eggplant. And there's so many things like that. And I realized that because I wasn't doing keyword research, I was often missing out on American traffic, which is huge. Mm -hmm. And what I noticed is when we did actually start doing keyword research, uh, we've taken our Google traffic from it being about 40% of our total traffic to about 56, 57%. So doing keyword research has worked, but it's amazing that I've managed to blag it until that point. That's really impressive. And also, I think that's inspiring for new bloggers listening, too, because you can get in your head when you're new at everything and you just hear that you're supposed to master SEO and know everything that you're supposed to do right from the get go. And people can get kind of stuck in that and then they'll end up writing posts that are really more robotic and aren't actually, you know, expressing their creativity because they're too concerned about doing it the right SEO way. So you are a living proof that you do not have to get stuck in that way. Focus on creating great content. Yeah, you can kind of focus on a, you can know that a keyword is going to be popular um, without doing keyword research. It's just whether or not it's too popular that you don't stand a chance of ranking for it versus um, you, you could have a bad choice as well and one that doesn't actually get any search volume. And I've found myself that now that I am taking SEO seriously, 
the what we did is we deleted a load of blog posts from our site that were no longer relevant. Things like restaurant reviews that nobody's probably even heard of the restaurant. So what was the point of them being on there? And we've been focusing on Americanizing some of our recipes. Um, like I mentioned courgette as an example. And we took our air fry courgette fritters to air fry zucchini fritters, for example, last summer. And that post then had good growth off the back of that. So I think the biggest thing I've learned is not necessarily the keyword research, but I've been I've spent probably the last year and a half studying American cuisine and understanding American terminology, making sure that I now have Fahrenheit in my recipes instead of just Celsius, imperial uh, to metric, you know, rather than just one. I now make sure that I have two. Because I still have a UK audience, I still have an Australian audience, and you're kind of wanting to keep everybody happy at the same time, which is quite difficult, but I I think I'm kind of getting there now with it. I have actually done that as well, and it has helped with traffic too. If you cut out the blog posts that aren't really giving your message the way you need it to be, it's not really doing anything for your benefit on the blog. If you cut it out and just keep the bigger, longer, more meatier posts, I feel that that's really good for SEO as well. I do, I do. I I know another blog that did a a similar thing, and she, she went down by the same amount of posts as me which I think I went down from about 1200 down to about 900 so I trimmed quite a lot of them off but when I started the blog I started it in late 2015 and I did have a kitchen gadgets theme planned but I wasn't solely kitchen gadgets so I've kind of got rid of a lot of posts that could never be a kitchen gadget and kind of focusing on moving more of them to the kitchen gadgets like I had um, some Mexican recipes that were just oven baked and now they're either in the air fryer or the air fryer oven. So I'm kind of trying to move more of them onto that. And I think I'm down to about 60 that are non-gadget that I need to kind of work on. There'll always be some that can't be that I'll just leave there because I can't kitchen gadget them, but they're bringing in good traffic. So I've left those alone and they're just kind of be sat there uh, gathering dust until eventually the traffic dies on them, I think. We got some SEO advice and we de-indexed only that we planned on deleting and we left it 60 days and then deleted them. But all these posts got less than 100 page views a month. So none of them were getting any traffic, but we were told to do that. And what we did is I think we deleted about 300 and then I think we trimmed off another 100 by forwarding them to other posts like we've got a few similar recipes on the blog and I'm like they're a bit too similar so what we've done is we've forwarded them and kind of bulked them into one or two posts or there's been keywords that haven't got enough search volume so what we've done is we've made uh, two recipes into one post so that it's Structures them better. Uh, Like, for example, we updated some air fryer Easter baking recently and we put two different Easter themed uh, muffins into one post and kind of made it a bit more exciting, did some more step by step put the kids in them, that kind of thing. How do you get featured on other people's Roundup posts? Yes, I would love to talk about that because uh, truly that can generate you more traffic than actually doing a roundup yourself. Um, Let's start with MSN. MSN and Yahoo, Kitchen, BuzzFeed, they are always doing roundups of other people's content. 
they literally search on Pinterest looking for them and in Google. And, you know, you can have a massive boost of traffic when you're featured in one of those. I remember one day, um, I think it was the first time we were featured in a big roundup somewhere else. It was actually MSN. And I think they bought us 40,000 sessions in one day. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, oh, my God. And that's when I actually thought to myself, we need to make more of an effort on getting on other people's uh, roundups and not just our own. I personally do this. I don't outsource this. I do have virtual assistants for various things. But I found with roundups, um, you know your content better than anybody else does. And it only takes me about 25 minutes a day to keep up um, with actually getting featured on other people's roundups. One of the main things I do is each night after the kids have gone to bed and I'm watching Netflix with my husband, I will go on the uh, what they call roundup groups on Facebook. Um, these are groups where people are just literally posting because they're writing a roundup. They want content. They don't want to troll the internet looking for um, people to feature. So they'll just put a request on there. It might be, um, I don't know, um, Easter crafts to do with the kids. So if you've got something that features in that, you literally just share your link and sometimes they might ask for a description as well. To find these groups, just go to Facebook, search in groups, Roundup. And there's ones like Roundup Database, Craft Roundups. There's loads of them to choose from. I think we use five regularly. And also, if you're a Mediavine blogger, Mediavine has their own. Um, so do ask in the Mediavine group if you're on Mediavine for that. And what I do is I will, to keep myself organized each night, I'll go into that Facebook group that I'm checking for roundups on. I'll, I'll reset the order on in the Facebook group to recent posts first rather than most active. And then I will uh, love heart the most recent. And then I know the next day where I got to on it. And then I will just uh, com uh, like on, and comment on any of them that are relevant to me and that I have good con quality content to put out on those roundups. I'm on uh, five um, groups in total, and that includes the Mediavine one. So I do that every evening. Then on top of that, this is something um, that a lot of bloggers have heard of if they do SEO um, and take backlinks seriously, but a lot of other beginner people might not have heard of it. And that's what we call HARO, which is, stands for Help a Reporter Out. And there they have what they call queries. And you have a long list, um, sometimes up to 100, mostly up to 75, where you get this long list of people that are looking for uh, quotes for, for posts. You can get Huffington Post on there, New York Times, uh, the Washington Post is on there as well. And a lot of those posts are actually roundups that they're asking for help with. I know... Um, I was featured in one a couple of days ago about um, what the best advertising network was, for example. But there's roundups on um, a lot of things and then single quotes on there. And you get uh, three emails a day from them, morning, afternoon and evening, Monday to Friday. And what I do on a night is I will get my emails. I will look through them. I'll write down any appropriate numbers. And then the next morning when I'm on my laptop, I will email them 
I will have a, a Word document that I'll have with a template on. And that will include a variety of things, including um, a link to uh, a zip link to some bio images, because someone might want um, your bio text, you know, your little about the author with a picture. And then they might want links to your website, your social media channels and that. So I have that typed out so I can just copy and paste that and then just give them a roundup description. And that's the side for actually getting featured on roundups. Though quite often with MSN and BuzzFeed, they just find you because they've found your good content. But by doing the roundup groups in Haro, you're giving yourself a kickstart and getting yourself on more of them. But one thing I wanted to talk about today um, was offering um, seasonal content for roundups. What's a very good example of this right now is uh, the coronavirus. You see, everybody is doing a roundup at the moment to do with the coronavirus in some sort of way, depending on what their site is about. I like the idea of looking through your content and because everybody is after roundups for this, it's a good opportunity to get yourself organised, collect your suitable content, and then you're ready to go straight away whenever there's roundup requests uh, regarding corona. For example, uh, the first types of roundups I saw people asking about uh, was recipes just using pantry items. Well, I've got a thousand recipes on my site. And, you know, how do you know which ones are just pantry items? So what I did is I quickly went through my main recipes category and I actually found eight suitable recipes. So what I did is I put these into a bookmarks folder and then I can quickly mention them to people um, whenever there's a suitable roundup. But what I also found is that among those eight, I had a post that I'd just updated where I'd written up my updates in Microsoft Word, but my husband hadn't actually scheduled the updates onto the new post yet. So what I did yesterday was I got him to actually update the post early instead of doing it next week because this was one of the eight and I believe this one was going to do um, really well. And overnight, it's been featured on 40 different Roundup posts. That's incredible. And it was actually just for air frying chickpeas. So it was a very simple recipe. And it was just what people were looking for. And it also fell under the vegan diet, vegetarian. So it was a good all-rounder to be featured in. So what I recommend here is coronavirus is a good example. But you could use this for any niche or any time of year for seasonal content. For example, you know, I like to think that I've got at least one post for each of the seasonal trends so that each year I can submit that same link to the site. And I've kind of written these posts for roundups because I didn't particularly care about these seasons. But I knew that if I didn't have some content about those, somebody else would instead. So, for example, I made sure I had a few cheesy-looking uh, Valentine's Day cupcakes on my site, um, a Guinness beef stew for St. Paddy's Day, for example, uh, pretty Easter baking goods. These are things I wouldn't normally bother with, but because I had Roundups um, as the main focus, I made sure that I had this content to rely on, just like I've done Thanksgiving, um, Black Friday content, Christmas content. But I don't really like doing seasonal content because I prefer evergreen content. 
where it, the content never leaves people's thoughts. You know, it's just as easy. To, I can get a lot more traffic, for example, off some generalised chicken recipes in the air fryer. And I'm not suddenly going to get hit one day and not get another traffic again for a year. So I've always gone more evergreen. But it's always a good idea to have some seasonal content that you can offer up. Or if some sort of trend happens, like everybody's reaction to the coronavirus, you have something to give on those situations. I'm the same way, but I prefer to do the evergreen posts. That's really what I enjoy doing. But I always have to sprinkle in some seasonal content too, because especially for Pinterest, the seasonal stuff just gets picked up on Pinterest at that time of year. It does. It does. I feel like I lack summer content. I I have um, I have lots of seasonal content that kind of runs September to March, but I don't feel like I have enough for summer. So, you know, I recommend to anybody, look at what seasonal content you have and see if over the next three years, you don't have to do it all in one year, um, just kind of hit uh, one of each of the different seasons that people celebrate so that you have some of that to be shared out. Yeah, and then you can share it the year after and the year after. It can live on that way. Yeah, and if if you think to yourself, oh, that's embarrassing. Did I really write that all those years ago? You can update it. That's true. And you should update it. You should always be updating your posts. Definitely, definitely. Do you find that your traffic right now is going up due to the coronavirus and more people staying indoors and looking for more ways to cook from home? With the coronavirus, I saw somebody posted about um, a week ago now asking me what my traffic was like uh, year on year. And I was like, oh, it's slightly down. I think we're 8% down on traffic. And I think that was also because uh, a week ago last year, we'd had a viral pin on Pinterest. So now when I compare it to a year ago, we're actually up on traffic very slightly. And I think our RPM with Media Vines uh, only down by a, a dollar or something. It's very, very little. I think the biggest traffic thing we've actually noticed is that we have the highest traffic on a weekend. We have our worst traffic on a Friday. Um, yet the Friday just gone, it was our highest traffic day of the week because everybody's at home. So there is no structure of when people are going out on the Friday night anymore. What is it like where you are right now with the coronavirus? I'm I'm obviously in Portugal, so it, we're on lockdown, unlike some of the other countries. And we noticed that we're paying more for groceries because normally, you know, there's there's always some grocery deals, but there isn't any grocery deals. And you're paying organic prices for everything because the cheap brands have, have run out of stock. But that's about it, really. Um, you know, Portugal... Um, doesn't go over the top over things like this they've just asked people not to go out unless it's grocery shopping um pharmacy doctor or if you're in a job which can't stop because even though there's coronavirus doing the rounds you know so it's a lot more it's a lot more quieter and people are just looking each day for an update to see how it's spreading and staying at home, and the government is covering a lot of people with a lot of money, um, so that people don't starve. Um, one of my one of my friends, uh, she's um, she lives in Portugal, and she's British like me, and 
she's head of a family charity and those that are really struggling there's been meetups in car parks to exchange food uh, doing charity parcels that kind of thing so everybody's been supportive and it's and it's lovely to see the community getting together and making sure that everything everybody's okay yeah that is really good that the community is pulling together like that it is it is in canada here we are definitely short on groceries and some items are just completely out and um, so that's why I was thinking too, like you have a recipe blog. So I'm wondering if you're finding it more difficult to stock your groceries and keep up with the blog content with uh, limited food. Well, what we did is uh, we're sticking to just going out once a week for groceries so that we're limiting how often we interact. And my husband uh, went out to do it because I'm not allowed to go as well because it's only one person is allowed out and I don't drive. And he did a regular supermarket and then he had to do another one because they didn't have everything. And normally our grocery bill uh, for recipes and things is about 120 euros. And it was 300 euros. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) because we were short on a few things, but we kind of made do. Like we couldn't get um, we couldn't get any eggs, but our next door neighbor has chickens and gave us some. Oh, that's amazing. And she gave me some fresh basil as well for a recipe, you know. So we're coping. It's it's a bit stressful thinking, what if I can't get certain food and I'm trying to get summer recipes sorted out? But it's it's manageable and we're coping better than we thought we would. That's good. That's good. We have some grocery delivery companies here, which I've been taking advantage of, which has been good. But I don't know how long it'll be until they run out of stock too, so... Yeah, it's just the unknown. Yes, I'm um, I'm on uh, a few affiliate networks and there's certain uh, affiliate programs that are very, very popular among bloggers that have shut down um, using the affiliate links and are just leaving it for now because they're totally out of stock. So they don't want their affiliates promoting them. Yeah. But they're US brands. So there are some that we use, but we don't re- they're not a big part of our income. So we're not too worried. Well, that's good. Well, I'm glad that you guys are staying safe and being careful. We're just kind of doing the same thing, staying indoors. Thank you. Starting an online business, running an online business, creating a blog, content marketing, email marketing, affiliate marketing, social media marketing, all of these factors that come into being a business owner can be a little bit overwhelming to say the least. So I have created a collection of online courses where I share my own personal strategies and tips and resources that have helped me to grow my business into a six-figure company in just a few short years. You can enroll in any of our courses today by going to herpaperroot.com courses. My best feature that I've ever had for traffic was BuzzFeed. The month they featured it, it got 150,000 page views. So always make sure that you've got quality content on your site with good images, good pinnable graphics, and BuzzFeed, MSN, and the like will find you. Isn't it wonderful, though? You put all this work into creating the content and then for other people to recognize it and celebrate it by sharing it. Oh, it is. It is. It is. You know, I look at so many of my blog posts that are on my um, top 100 of all time posts, and quite often they've been shared by the right person at the right time. So what are you working on now? What's your focus? My focus at the moment is uh, summer content. I've I've got most of April, May, May written, and I'm kind of on June and July. 
though obviously this depends on getting ingredients at the moment right um I'm just focusing on on writing good content I like to have more time off in the summer months so I'm kind of cramming in blog posts in advance so that I can take more of a break in summer smart yeah if you could plan ahead like that to have some time off <laughs> You had mentioned that you have worked in different niches before. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. To be honest, we've worked in so many different niches. Um, I, I, I suppose I would just pick some of my favorites that I've enjoyed the most or that have been the most profitable. I remember, I think you can still do it now, but I remember uh, many years ago, the GoDaddy.com auctions were always popular. Mm -hmm. You could uh, grab an expiring domain name for about $20 or $30 plus the annual registration of a domain name. And you could get some very interesting niches that were already getting traffic. I found that when you did it, you're just getting the domain name, so you're not getting the content. So... If it says it's getting 800 hits a month, you know that's then zero by the time you've got it and that those blog posts have disappeared. Yeah. But what I found was the best ones to have was the ones that had YouTube traffic because those YouTube channels were just sat there gathering dust but were still generating traffic. Very clever. And Yeah. And one of the best ones we ever came across was um, to do with the Xbox and at the time, there was issues with the Xboxes and people were trying to figure out online how to repair them. And there was lots of videos doing the rounds showing you quick repair techniques. So we grabbed uh, a lot of these domains that had traffic from an old YouTube channel. And we, um, we wrote about 20 blog posts. And these videos were still driving traffic to them. And then we found some very good ebooks to affiliate that were affiliating for about $47 on a 60% commission. And we used to sell 20 of them a day. Wow. And it, it went like that for about a year. And it was hands-free because we never wrote any more content again. It was it was at an early time where it wasn't there wasn't this obsession with you must get another post written you must keep a blog active it was quite a long time ago when we investigated it we found out there was about 40 different videos linking to the site and the site was the the kind of go-to in the niche that people were referencing as the place to go to get your stuff done so it was very good for us yeah that's a good find yeah yes it was and I we didn't write the posts ourselves we outsourced them to someone that knew the stuff about gaming you know, so it was it was very much uh, hands free for us and a great little passive income stream. Then we just flipped it. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I'm trying to think of another good one we had. Oh, yes. Another good one, which was based around what I would call public domain content was that we had a site based around funeral poems. Oh, wow. Because everybody's always Googling, looking for a, a poem, aren't they, when they're about to attend a, fun a funeral oh. or they're planning someone's funeral. Yep. And there were very famous poems that you had written out in full, you know, and it was at a Google time before they really cared about duplicate content. You would add an introduction to the poem and link out to some uh, poem books on Amazon and, that was that was that it was a very easy site to set up and we had quite a few like that where we got the idea from looking at the expired domains on GoDaddy and thinking now that that could work yeah that was quite some time ago have things changed now for if you're looking at 
how to start a niche blog with the purpose of um, developing it and maybe flipping it? I think I think it would be easier now because uh, we have more social media available to us. People are more active on YouTube now. So back then, having um, a domain name that's getting good YouTube traffic wasn't very, uh, very much a thing compared to how it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you were to do that now, uh, you need solid SEO knowledge. You know how you need to know how to write good um, quality writings and things like that. Whereas before it was, there was like the Panda update going back many, many years. And mm-hmm. before that, people used to throw spammy backlinks at those kind of sites. So the content didn't have to be long like it often is now. You know, but overall, I think I could still do that now and it, and it would work. And the domain name RecipeThis.com actually came from um, GoDaddy Auctions as well. Oh, wow. It was some sort of recipe auction site before, apparently. Really? Yeah, yeah. My website, blogtips.com, I caught that on a GoDaddy auction a couple of years back. And I was like, wow, like it, it had, it's a domain that had been around for like 12 years and it had some authority to it. It was on an old blogger site. Like there was actually some content um, and it was like, old like hadn't been updated in a long time but I was able to get the domain and the seller was cool and he's like oh yeah I do have access to that old blogger account so I was able to recoup some of that content and bring it over to WordPress but yeah like it's if you can catch something like that um and develop it into your own thing that's always the way to go so I love that I do and if you uh, there's there's a difference between the types of domains you can buy on GoDaddy because there's the ones that are just about to expire in the next 24 hours. And with those, you tend to get a much better price than those that people have flipped themselves to sell. Mm-hmm. There's a big difference in prices. I see some that um, I've picked up for less than $100 um, versus ones that are selling for ten thousand dollars, and they aren't getting any more traffic than the one I'm about to buy. I, I remember a bunch of domains I also bought that were in a bidding war at the time, and they were travel ones, and they were very good. And my cousin actually wrote the copy for me on those, and we flipped those. And they were things like um, I can't remember the exact domain name, but something like. Uh, rediscovernashville.com rediscoverportland.com and lots of other American uh, travel locations and yeah so I bought them all and then she did she did all the copy for me and my husband loaded up all the posts and then we flipped it and they did they did very well and I think we only had them for about 60 days that's great it's a quick flip yes yes very much so (laughs) most of my flips have been um, a year or a year or longer. And what sort of profit have you been making on those flips? I um, I think the best flip I ever had was what I was mentioning about the Xbox. And I think we originally paid about $30 for the domain name. And we maybe spent $200 on it and it sold for $30,000 in the end. Yeah, girl, good job. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing beats your best, does it? That's the best. Yeah, it's such a good feeling. <laughs> Or another one that I wouldn't really call a domain flip, um, but used a similar a similar structure, uh, was at, um, this was just before we started Recipe This. I was still losing my baby weight from having Sophia, 
Um, so she was born in the November and we started the site the following summer. We bought a very good domain. You know, when your domain name looks really, really good and you think that's really catchy. Mm-hmm. It was cavemandietblog.com. Amazing. A whole 30 kind of niches and the diet niche. So um, we followed Whole30 for a month and um, used it to catalogue us losing, I think it was the equivalent of about £20 um, in weight and then put it straight away for sale. So we hadn't had any outgoings. We'd literally just written what we'd done, um, literally a diet diary, and we sold it for $10,000. That's awesome. Is there anything else that we should know for someone who wants to get started with a roundup? Any advice? The only advice I could really give that I haven't mentioned is just go and do it. You know, how often do we buy, uh, do we hear of people buying ebooks or whatever? They read it and then they don't actually uh, take the information that they've heard seriously or they just don't get on with it. You know, I look at my uh, top 20 posts and how many of them are, um, are roundups. Yeah, I'm guilty of not doing enough roundups, you know. Uh, roundups are hard work compared to doing a normal blog post. There's a lot more research and work that goes into them, but they're very much worth it. So all I can say is just just do it. Yep, I agree. Just go do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, where can our listeners um, connect with you? Where would you like people to find you and follow you? People can find me on recipethis.com. And I'm also on Twitter with recipe underscore this. And I'm also on Pinterest and things, but I don't really have any blogging content, unfortunately. That's okay. Everybody likes to eat and you've got a lot of food content. (laughs) Yes, we do. We do. And how many people now has an instant pot or an air fryer or a slow cooker? That's right. You're going to need to come up with ideas and ways to use it now with all this time being indoors at home. You can't go out to restaurants or anything like that. So (laughs) Very true. Well, thank you again so much for chatting with me. This has been wonderful. Been wonderful too. Thanks a lot, Chelsea. Thanks for tuning in to the Her Paper Route podcast. We hope you found this episode helpful. If you did, please say so by leaving us a review on iTunes. And be sure to share this episode with your friends. For more entrepreneurship resources and to connect with Chelsea, swing by herpaperroute.com. Now go make something.